I am Brooklyn-based psychotherapist Nikita Banks, and I am your host of Black Therapist Podcast, formerly of Black in Therapy. Black Therapist Podcast is the podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Black Therapist Podcast, or you can follow us on our Facebook fan page at Black in Therapy, or my fan page at Nikita Banks LMSW. You can email us fan mail, general feedback, and show suggestions at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. You can sign up for our mailing list at blacktherapistpodcast.com. Tweet, share, like, leave us comments on whatever platform you listen to us at, whether it be SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Music, Stitcher, etc. We are wherever podcasts are found. Hey guys, welcome to the show. So I've been asking you guys to leave me feedback on our Apple podcast page. Is that what it's called? iTunes, whatever. Stitcher, you can read, leave us comments on anything, SoundCloud, whatever. But in order for the show to get a better ranking, you have to leave us ratings, five stars, please. <laughs> and positive feedback. So I'm going to read one of the comments that we got um, on this show, or I guess on our episode. And the comment is by Al. Yeah. And the comment is, I started listening to this podcast early 2016 and truly enjoyed how open Banks was with her career path. As someone who recently decided to return to school to complete my psychology degree, I've been exposed to new ways to think about my own career journey, as well as getting a different perspective in the mental health field. I look forward to see where this podcast will go. So we're going to read your comments. We, we do read your comments. We reply to them. Elia, I'm so excited that you listen. I'm glad that you like what you hear. And I really truly appreciate the fact that you guys are engaging with the show and you're you're liking the content. And it is Black History Month that's coming up or it is Black History Month probably by the time you hear this show. And so I am asking every single person here to tag a therapist. If you know a therapist of color or you know somebody who is a grassroots organizer or you know somebody who has a social justice organization and they would like to be featured on Black Therapist Podcast, have them contact us by sending us an email at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com or I think once a week or a day or whatever, tag them in my tag a therapist post on our Instagram page so that we can feature them because this is not just about us and me being a therapist. I want to be able to provide a resource to every single person who wants to have a therapist or wants to be exposed to therapy in their communities. And if I could raise awareness for other people doing this work, I would so appreciate being able to give you guys a platform here. So please reply, respond, uh, hit me up, and I would love to at least have a have a talk. So it was Grammy weekend in New York City, which is a huge deal because the Grammys hasn't been here in like years. And so for people like Puffy and Jay-Z and Lady Gaga and like a lot of people, New York is our home as is, I mean, their home. I'm not a celebrity. And so, um, you know, it was a huge deal for it to be back in New York this weekend. And so I usually don't go out, but I knew that, I would probably be able to go to some of the hot spots and some of the hot parties. And so we ended up going out last night. And um, one of the only places that we ended up going to, which probably was the best place to go to, was Jay-Z's after um, Grammy party. He was 
was awarded, um, I don't know, some sort of award yesterday at Clive Davis's party by the Grammys. And it was a huge deal. Beyonce was at the party, Mariah Carey, Puffy, his children, etc. Um, not 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 Jay-Z's children, <laughs> but Puffy's children was at the party. And so, you know, growing up in Brooklyn and growing up in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, of course, we've run the same, in the same circles. We've known a lot of the same people. I have like old pictures of Jay and I and the history and the paths that we've taken are obviously very, very different because I'm not a multimillionaire married to a multimillionaire. I'm just a girl from Brooklyn still living and servicing in Brooklyn. But one of the things I think that we hold uh, true to our heart is that we have a love for Bed-Stuy and we have a love for Brooklyn and we love where we come from. And so to see Jay evolve over the years, which I've had a lot of struggles with some of the ways, not so much his career path has taken, but a lot of the content of the music over the years as being a mother of a black son and now seeing him evolve, I've learned to really gain a brand new respect for him, especially in the mantle that he's taken on as a social justice warrior in a way, right? Like a lot of his last album, it had a lot of bright spots where he talked about infidelity. He talked about therapy. He talked about, you know, the documentary with Khalif Browder and the injustices and the um, disparity in sentencing. And so I was kind of bummed out, I'll say, to have been in a space with him where I could have at least been able to tell him, listen, you know, Therapy is what I do, and I love the fact that you're normalizing therapy, and I really just wanted to party, and I didn't know what I know now. So in leaving the party last night, I got on social media, and I realized, or I saw that he did an interview with Van Jones of CNN, and I don't watch CNN for a number of reasons. I prefer MSNBC, what up, Joy Reid? But the reason that I don't really like CNN is because I really get tired of the the pundits and the people fighting back and forth. And it really doesn't seem balanced and it seems really nonsensical. And I also have issues with Van Jones, but I mean, I did think he was a hottie before. But, um, you know, recently and something, some of the things that he said, I've really like disagreed with. So it was a pleasant surprise when I came home last night and I went on... Instagram and I saw Spreeism, shout out to you, uh's Instagram account where she discussed, well, she had a clip of Jay-Z's interview with Van Jones. And so I'm going to play some clips of it or edit some clips of it in tonight where he talks about certain topics and subjects where it's near and dear to our hearts here on Black Therapist Podcast. So if anybody here is a, a real fan of Jay-Z, you'll know that recently he did a New York Times interview where he talked about going to therapy and how it enhanced his understanding of the things that he needed to improve and do in order to save his marriage. Everybody knows about Lemonade and the infidelity and the famous, you know, butt kicking that he got from Solange in the elevator, etc. And, um, you know, knowing a, a lot about his history and knowing him at one point in his life, it all makes sense. You know, growing up in the inner city, growing up in the projects, growing up with, you know, the issues that he's faced dealing with, you know, a mother who had drug addiction and, you know, being in that environment. And I hate that I'm saying, you know, you know, but growing up in that environment, you are susceptible to be 
exposed to a lot of trauma. And Jay is no different than me, is no different than Biggie, is no different than you guys listening. And so I was grateful to hear how much he wants to normalize therapy. But he talked a lot about several different things in the, the interviews. Number one, he talked about racism and the effects of racism mentally on people in this country. And I'm going to play a clip of what he said, and then I'll be back to discuss. A Me Too moment and this Time's Up moment. Does that give you hope for your daughters? I mean, how do you make sense of, of this new rise of women's voices? Yeah, I think it's, um, again, I believe everything happens for a reason. You know, everything is a learning experience. You know, the good, bad, and the ugly. And, you know, this had to happen to purge itself, you know, for for you know, men who've been in position for so long. And then, of course, if you're in that position of power to abuse your power, you get drunk off success. It's like human nature. If you go unchecked, it takes a really special person to have that sort of power and not wield not it. Not abuse it. Yeah, yeah. In, in the wrong way. So, you know, it has to happen. This, 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 this movement and everything that's going on and this, um, what we're finding out, it's like everything else. It's like racism, like everything. It's, it existed the whole time. And we just, it's almost like we normalized it. The, norm, the normalization of the things we have to do to survive. Like for women to like go to work knowing that this sort of abuse was happening every day. It happening every day. Because you can look and, you know, logically you'll say, why would you stay there? Right. Yeah, what's the alternative? Yeah. What's the alternative? You have to... Uh, survive in America. He also talked about his role and the role of Colin Kaepernick's of being a social justice warrior. And what he said was, is people confuse the idea of having a job with fulfilling your purpose. And I think that, I think that that's kind of the disparity that a lot of people don't understand that in order to make real, true social change, a sacrifice has to happen. And so not only did Colin become an icon because he's a sports icon at this point, even though he no longer plays sports, he's also doing what he has to do to find his purpose and affect change in the lives of many black men and people of color that he interacts with, with his programs that he has. He Colin had a program where he bought suits for men uh, and boys. He donated. He also teaches people about their rights and how to interact with police officers. And I don't know, to me, that's a lot bigger than football. And I like the fact that Jay was able to kind of acknowledge that and address that. Also, everybody knows if you don't know, you can go on Netflix, you can go on YouTube, you can go on whatever it is that you want to go on and look at the Khalif Browder story that Jay-Z produced, where he talked about a young man named Khalif Browder here in New York City, who was, I believe, 16 years old locked up on Rikers Island for three years for stealing a backpack pre-adjudication. What pre-adjudication means is that it's before he's ever been convicted of a crime for a $3,000 bail. And it's my understanding of the bail industry, you only have to pay 10%. So he was locked away for three years for roughly $300. Um, it, it, that's if I'm correct. And that's disgusting but obviously his parents didn't, or family didn't have that money and what ended up happening is he ended up becoming depressed and he ended up hanging himself and so I love the fact that Jay is taking on the issues of bail the bail industry disparity and sentencing and the issues with um, pre-sentencing or pre-adjudication 
jail sentences. In jail, on an average day, 721,300 people are being held in our jails. But 66% of those people are being held pre-trial, meaning they haven't even been convicted of a crime. So while you're sitting in that cell, you or your family member can try to pay the bond, but for some people that can mean foregoing basic needs like child support or shelter or food. Remember, you're not just in jail for a night or two. You're there until your trial actually starts. That could be weeks or months or years. Like Khalif Browder, who was 16 years old when he was accused of stealing a backpack. His bail was set, though, at $3,000, which he didn't have and couldn't afford. So he ended up spending three years at Rikers Island waiting for trial. There he was beaten, he was abused, he was held in solitary confinement. When the charges were later dropped, he was just released. But two years later, he was still so traumatized that he killed himself. Jail affects people of color way disproportionately. Black people are jailed at almost four times the rate of white people. Leaders on both sides of the aisle agree this is a really big problem. You actually uh, uh, executive produced a documentary about Khalif Browder, that young man who was held in prison, for, uh, held in jail for three years and hadn't been convicted of anything. Um, and, and so much you're doing. Why do you care personally so much about the issue of criminal justice reform? Because you're all over yeah. it. Um, I have I had a friend who got uh, killed in jail, um, and I come from these neighborhoods, so I know Khalif Browder. So when I seen this story in New York, I reached out to him before um, all this happened. He, uh, you know, I met with him. He came to the office. I just wanted to give him some words of encouragement, and he left. He was pursuing his GED. He was he was in uh, college, I think, in the Bronx. I'm almost sure, and you know, I've seen this story so many times, and I haven't seen it. In, this, in the case of Khalif, I thought it was had a happy ending. He, yeah. he came home, he went through the worst, he got through it all, he came home, he was pursuing, he was in college, he had a, okay. And then two weeks later, it was like he had committed suicide. You know, mental health, mm -hmm. trauma, PTSD is so rampant in our community. But, you know, as scared as black folks are of the cops, we even more scared of therapists. Like, we're not trying to go to therapy. Yeah, it's a stigma. It's a stigma. It's a yeah, stigma, yeah. and people yeah. are dying. You went to therapy, you yeah. talk about it. Yeah. How did you get over the stigma of going to therapy and then talking about it? Because you might help some, you might save a life just talking about that. Well, as you grow, you realize the, the, the ridiculousness of the stigma attached to it. It's like, what? You just talk to someone about your problems, you know? And I think actually it should be in our schools. You know, I think children, children have the most going on. Their mind are not fully developed, and you know, teenagers, and you're drinking, and you're doing damage to your brain, and you know, all these things are happening to you, and you don't know how social anxiety and all these things are happening to you. You don't have the language. That's right. You don't have the language to, to navigate it. How how can you navigate it? How can you know when a guy is bullying you? All you have to do is say, "Man, you okay?" It could change the whole thing. Khalif's unjust incarceration on $3,000 bail just for an accusation he wasn't convicted of a crime and he was eventually let go is disgusting. And the fact that a lot of New Yorkers are charged as adults at the age of 16, uh, I love the fact that also in the interview, Jay mentioned that our brains are not fully developed at 16. So to charge a child essentially for an adult crime at 16 when our brains don't mature until the age of 25. 
is ridiculous. The last part of our brains to develop fully are the prefrontal cortex, and that deals with rationalizing, consequential thinking, and decision-making. Researchers suggest that our brains aren't fully developed and they are not equipped with what they need for the best judgment at that age. So before 25, we don't make the best judgment. But duh, right? Like anybody who's watched the episode of Judge Judy, she often says that you cannot make a deal or make a contract, enter into a contract with a child or with anybody that is under 21. And the reason is because they're not responsible and legally cannot be held responsible for their action. Yet many African-American and Hispanic and impoverished children of all colors in this country are made to spend life in prison or a large part of their adulthood in prison just because they've made bad decisions on the first go round. Obviously, there's no part of this that is fair. Statistically, rates are higher amongst males who experience mental health issues, exposure to trauma, violence, incarceration, and it's even higher because they're more likely to do harder time in adult institutions without any reprieves or any judge intervening on their behalf. And so what I've noticed now at at this point in my career is that a lot of the clients that I see or patients that I see on a psych ward who are young men, there is a higher rate than I had anticipated of young black and Latino males who are suicidal, have either tried or have a plan. And a lot of those guys are guys who've at least spent some minor time within jail or have been incarcerated previously and they have a lot of issues uh, such as PTSD, trauma, and exposure to violence. Another thing that I wasn't prepared to, I don't know, acknowledge or realize when I started this job was that the suicide rates, which are really lowering across spectrums, are increasing when it comes to black boys ages of 5 to 11. And those rates have doubled more than any other rates in the past 20 years. Once again, I'm going to say that black boys ages 5 to 11 are killing themselves at a higher rate. And across the board, black and white, women attempt more, which means they try to commit suicide more. And boys usually succeed in killing themselves when they attempt. So even though women may attempt to have, um, attempt to take them, their lives a lot more than men do, men actually commit suicide. And so to, to think about a five and 11 year old killing themselves is just ridiculous. It's something that I ha- was not prepared to even wrap my brain around when I started this, this job. And, you know, just like everybody else, I thought that suicide was a white problem. I thought that it was something that our people just didn't do. I think for religious reasons or for other reasons, I didn't think that it was something that we were really exposed to when it comes to or predisposed to to happen to ourselves. But it is a high rate. And so I think that the Khalif Browder story and and the fact that Jay-Z has decided to highlight or Sean has decided to highlight the the issues that people face when dealing with incarceration or unjust incarceration, disparities in sentencing and and the the unjust justice system that we have in this country, I think it's amazing. And so I personally have not watched the Khalif Browder 
uh, documentary. And the reason is because I really just being in the field, there are certain self-care exercises that I do. There are certain things that I avoid for my energy. And living in New York and reading the coverage of Khalif's story and knowing that his mother died essentially of a broken heart and knowing that they tried to do everything that they could do to intervene on this young man's behalf. And still he killed himself, I believe, by hanging, which hanging and suffocation is the most successful way that a lot of African-American males are killing themselves. It, it was just more than I could bear to watch in a documentary, knowing what I see every single day um, out in the field. I, mem- I remember recently uh, one of the clients that stuck to me or sticks out in my memory was a young girl who I was having a conversation with her mother and she was a victim of trauma and, and a rape or a sexual assault that happened in her school and they pursued it and she had been bullied since then and she wrote on her wrist while I was home, um, cut me across her wrist. And just the pain in her mom's eyes and the pain in my eyes and just trying to like really deal with talking her down off a ledge, it, it, it really sticks with me. And to know that black boys in this country are normally taught to suppress what they feel and not acknowledge the feelings that they have and that the, ha- the feelings that they have and that they express are inappropriate. It, it, it is necessary that we start having these conversations. One of the things that excited me the most about this interview was Jay-Z has said the same exact thing that I've said uh, over the years on this show, which is our black children or people of color or Hispanics or different cultures do not teach our children how to have the emotional language to express themselves. Like he almost said those exact words. And like from a boy from the projects and a boy from my hood and a boy that I've, I've known and I've seen and I've grown to turn into the man that he, he is now. And anybody who knows me knows I like Jay-Z, but I'm not particularly a Jay-Z fan. I am fanatical about anybody who is willing to take on the mantra to normalize therapy for black people. He literally said that therapy should be in our schools. And although that has so many, it's, it's so multi-layered and it's, it's so deep, it's much deeper than just what he's saying. I do agree that we have to start teaching our children at home about emotional stability and we have to just do more than provide for our children mentally or, or, or physically. We have to start providing for them mentally and spiritually and physically. My parents, they did the best that they could with what they had at the time, with the tools that they had available. But my mom and my dad did not provide for me mentally. They didn't provide for me emotionally. They did provide for me physically. They made sure I ate every day and I had food on my back and I closed them in on my back. Wait, did I say food on my back? Food in my stomach and not my stomach on my back. Um, but they made sure that I had the things that I needed to live a life. They did not make sure that I was emotionally stable and they didn't give me the emotional language to express myself. Really what they did was help me suppress my emotions for many years. And I think about a time, one time Jay was at the, at the house or the place that I hung out 
And I was like so young and I was like angry. I guess I had to be about 20 or 21. And I came in the house and Jay was sitting on the couch and I was like going to fight somebody. And I remember him looking at me and saying, like, you're really going to go outside and fight? And I was like, who the hell are you? And like, what business is it of yours? But I just had so much of this pent up emotions that I had to do a lot of these pent up, pent up, pent up feelings that I really just didn't know what to do with. And I thank God that I found my way to therapy. But listening to several of the, the most recent interviews that Jay-Z has had, I know that therapy has definitely helped him. And so I'm going to play a little bit more of the clips and then we're going to talk about um, talk about it. I love the fact that Van Jones was able to express the idea of how PTSD and trauma is so rampant in our community, but it's not something that we talk about. And so PTSD is developed when we have repeated exposure to trauma. And I didn't realize how prevalent of a thing it was in my life. It seems to be marketed as a a military thing or it's marketed as something that you have if you were in combat. But in a lot of our communities in all over America, not even just black communities, but a lot of impoverished communities, you are exposed to trauma. You're exposed to crime. You're exposed to violence. And if you grow up impoverished, you are going to be in an environment where a lot of dysfunction becomes the norm. And it makes it hard for you to function outside of larger society where dysfunction is frowned upon. And so I love that they address that as well. And uh, let me see what else I have here because I had to take notes. Oh, I love that Jay talked about how, and he's talked about it repeatedly, how therapy helped him develop the skills and the necessary tools to actually be able to save his marriage after infidelity. One of my favorite quotes that he said in the show was that you have to be strong enough to get through it. And on the other side, it's beautiful. And so for a lot of us and a lot of couples that I see, they wait too long to enter into therapy and they don't commit to therapy as if it's an act of self-care. They don't commit to therapy as if it's school. They don't commit to therapy and in couples counseling as if there is a graduation. They think, that it's a quick fix and they think that it's something that they're going to do and somebody's going to tell them what to do and then they're going to just be better they're looking for somebody else to take on the responsibility of fixing their relationships and fixing their marriage and the responsibility is on them and so I don't know it is like I said it's Grammy weekend and I had a whole nother show plans but when somebody like Jay who is an African-American man and as I've stated on this show before and I will state on this show again our black men are the worst. They are the absolute worst patients I have. However, narratives are changing and the stigma is changing and the veil is lifting. And if more celebrities and if more icons and if more people who are revered in our community like Jay-Z is able to say, hey, I go to therapy and it has made me a better person. It's made me a better man. It helps to normalize and it helps to give other men permission to go and fix those broken spaces in their heart and fix those broken pieces in their soul. And I 
I appreciate the fact that he's been very vocal about going to therapy and he's been extremely vocal, uh, I would say at this point, as an advocate for black mental wellness. And I take my hat off to fellow Brooklynite Jay-Z. Another thing that I loved that Jay uh, did in the interview and he discussed was his mother's relationship with women. And because I'm from Brooklyn and Brooklyn is like a little, I swear to God, it's like a little town where everybody knows everybody's business. It really wasn't a secret in the hood that his mom was a lesbian. Um, whether we knew, we talked about it, it was confirmed, not confirmed, I don't know. But it, it was something that was kind of whispered about in the hood. And so to have him discuss openly the fact that she is a lesbian and she is in love and she loves who she loves and love is love and that she doesn't need to hide and he literally said that hiding is another form of oppression was just amazing to me. I, as somebody who who has seen him and know people intimately around him for many, many years, I am excited about his growth. I love where he's going and I'm hoping that he can continue to invest socially in the community in a positive way. I think that a lot of the music in the 1990s that I loved, I loved because I was ratchet in the knee streets. You know, they, they have had social consequences to a lot of the men of my generation compounded by actual social policies that that created the environment that made what they talked about a reality. So some of it was art imitating life, but a lot of it was life imitating art. And, and a lot of that has to go and a lot of that blame has to go to politicians and social policies that just kind of threw these communities away. While my generation talked about trap music and drug music and this generation talks about depression and they talk about killing themselves and they talk about drug music or taking drug music. We have to start being able to armor ourselves, our children, our nephews, our nieces, ourselves and protecting our energy from these intrusive ideas. And so I love the fact that Jay is now using his platform to change the conversation and to change the narrative and to talk about more positive things. And so kudos to him. I know that he's he's talked about these things as well as economic advancement and generational wealth and financial literacy and all these things. And these are all things that you're supposed to be talking about. But these are definitely all things that we, we as communities should be starting to think about, at least by the time you get to your late 30s and 40s. But you should be talking to your children about this if they're teenagers and if they're they're tweens and when they're in their 20s and et cetera. Like this, this is the social change that we need. And I'm so proud that a fellow bed and a fellow Brooklynite, bed is that even a thing? Bed-Stuyer, Dua-Dyer is taking the mantle to have these conversations nationally and using his platform in this way. So shout out to Jay-Z, Sean Carter, Marcy PJs, you know, alumni. And I appreciate you guys for listening. I love what we're doing here. And I want us to continue to grow and evolve. If you want to hear any changes in the show, if you have any social suggestions, if you have any general feedback, please feel free to email us at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. Sign up, share, like, comment, download.
be well. You've listened to another episode of the Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Nikita Banks, licensed clinical social worker, and this is Black Therapist Podcast, formerly Black in Therapy. If you are looking for any information, any resources about today's show, or if you just want to drop a line and say hey and subscribe to our mailing list, you can do so at our website, blacktherapistpodcast.com. You can send us emails at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, please like, comment, share, and subscribe because we want the show to grow as organically as we possibly can. And we cannot do that without you. Thank you for listening. Be well.